everybody. I'm your host, Ivy Moore. And I'm your host, Lindsay Sullivan. And you're listening to the Face to Face podcast, where we come face to face with people and stories that matter. Our idea was to curate a casual conversation that mimics a chat over coffee. Each episode, we'll sit down with someone who can teach us something with their wisdom and experience. We hope this podcast fosters learning and feeds your soul. I believe that just even just having an inkling of God's presence can change your whole life. Today I have on the show Dr. Ron Highfield. He is a religion teacher here at Pepperdine, a theologian and an author. I had the privilege of being a student in Dr. Highfield's Christianity and Culture course last semester, and I often found myself amazed by his wisdom and his reverence for God and for human life as well, so I decided to ask him on the show to learn a little bit more from him. Dr. Highfield, welcome. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you, Lindsay. If you could just introduce yourself to the audience, um, say anything you'd like them to know. Okay, well, my name is Ron Highfield. I was uh, born a long time ago in the Deep South, and I grew up on a farm. My father was a farmer, my mother was a math teacher, and both of those have had a big influence on my life. And I kept moving west, moved to Arkansas and then Texas, and 31 years ago, I came to teach at Pepperdine University. Mm. And how have you liked it since? Oh, I wouldn't go anywhere else. I love it. I'm going to stay here until I decide that I'm through teaching. What courses do you teach here? I teach general studies, the Christianity and uh, culture course. And I teach upper division theology, uh, a course in Christian faith, and then a course in two courses in theology. Those are my main four courses. Yeah. Do you have a preference as to which course you like to teach more? Well, I love teaching the general studies. I don't. I wouldn't say that I love it more. It's just that they're different. Uh, the upper division are majors, and uh, I can presume certain things and about them. Um, and I love theology, and I love teaching it. But I, I love the general studies. I love teaching um, the, that age, and um, I love teaching them from sort of zero to one hundred. You know. Could you kind of describe the outline of the course and kind of your intentions behind it? Well, my theme is finding God in a secular culture. In the Western world, or even in big cities throughout the world, culture is pretty secular. And especially we in Southern California, there's nothing in our culture, or there is very little, that would just remind you that there's a God or that we have any uh, religious duties or that we should even think of God. And I want to help people realize where this culture came from. And it all, it wasn't always this way. And then give people an opportunity to, to examine themselves and think through it and decide if they want to live a secular life or not. Mm. Because, I want people at least to be able to decide. And what I want to do is show that in our humanity, there are certain questions that won't go away. Where did I come from? Who am I? What holds everything together? What's the meaning of things? Uh, What should I do? 
uh, with my life. Uh, so those, those questions are buried in our humanity, uh, and we really can't get away from them no matter how much we hide. Yeah. What would you say is the answer to all of those questions? Well, what, one of my strategies in my uh, Christianity and Culture course is to help evoke in each student the question that they need to ask. I believe I know the answer uh, is uh, God the creator of all things, mm. the, the one who is the source of all things and the meaning of all things. And, and it's our human lot to search for God. And I want to help uh, students. But I, I do believe that the questions have to arise from within the student. I, I don't think a teacher, a religious teacher, or anyone can just give you the questions and then give you the answers, and you memorize them and spit them back. My goal is to evoke in you the question so that the question becomes a burning question, mm -hmm. and you're seeking the answer. And you will maybe even ask me, what's the answer? <laughs> and I might not say just point blank mm -hmm. the answer. I might just facilitate deeper questions. But it, a secular person is someone who doesn't pray, mm -hmm. who doesn't think about God. If I can help people just think about God, that I feel successful. If I can set them on a journey, if I can walk with them to the, on that journey, that's mm -hmm. wonderful. But if I can just set them on that journey, I feel like I've done something good for them. Yeah. Who is this God that you describe? And what would your advice be to someone who is maybe really new to this whole idea and they're, they're looking to find him? Mm -hmm. I think that's a good question because we use the word God without being clear about what we mean by it sometimes. So I think uh, we need to get the questions straight. I mean, the question, uh, what is God? That sort of defines, what are we talking about? We're not talking about uh, a mountain somewhere, or we're not talking about uh, an old man who lives in the heavens. We're talking about the most perfect reality uh, from which all things come, and who holds the meaning of all things. Uh, that's what I mean by God, uh, uh, and I, I can say more than that, but that's at least what I mean by God. Mm. And so there's the question, what is God? God is the most perfect uh, being uh, who is the source of all things. Another question is, is there a God? Mm -hmm. That's the question of existence. And then there is another question, who is God? That is, when you're relating to someone, you have to have a sense of how they're going to relate back to you. Mm -hmm. What do you say? What do you ask for? What, 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 how do you think of them? What's the image you have in your mind? What's their identity? So that question, who is God, is a very important question. Um, and for Christians, that question is answered by looking into the face of Jesus Christ. Because when we say, uh, who is God, we say, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. When one prays to God as the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we can expect to be treated as the most perfect parent would treat his 
most beloved children. Yeah. How did you personally meet this Jesus? My parents were very religious people, very good people. I had an amazing set of parents. My father was a World War II vet, um, and I'm a baby boomer, um, or a boomer, as I'm (laughs) often called. But when I was born, um, my father decided to take his faith much more seriously. So he brought me and my mother and I, my mother and him, brought us to church, and uh, I never knew anything else. But, but the reason I believe it stuck with me is because of especially his, but also her example to me, because I, living on a farm, um, I saw my father day in and day out uh, working, relating to other people, and I had absolutely no doubt that his faith went from the top of his head to the bottom of his toes. And he was just a good man. And my thought about my future was, I want to be a good man like my father. Mm-hmm. And, of course, he and the Sunday school teachers in the church introduced me to um, the God of uh, the Bible and to Jesus, who hold, you know, the little Sunday school lessons, Jesus with the little children in his arms and with the sheep around him. So I had that image of Jesus, and that was my image of God as well. Mm-hmm. How do you personally relate to God and maybe like describe your process? Do you find him most in scripture or do you have a certain process that you connect with him the most? Well, of course, I uh, know the Bible very well and I know the story very well and I know uh, um, all of the uh, writings of the New Testament and Old Testament very well. Um, And they are in my heart and in my mind. But when you ask me, how do I relate to God? It's like, it's not something I do periodically. It's something that's completely encompasses my life. Mm -hmm. I never am not doing that. (laughs) I don't want to forget because for me, God is, and this is, I think, the the, uh, way to think about God. God is everywhere. God is always present to me. God is always uh, taking care of his world. He's always, um, he's the meaning and the love that holds the world together. Every time I relate to another person, every time I think about myself, every time I look at nature, I just feel I am, in him I live and move and have my being. Mm. So I can always, uh, prayer is talking to God. But you don't have to say it out loud, and you don't have to think of a particular thought. It's just an awareness of God, knowing that God is always present and never absent. And so I'm never alone. Uh, And I think there was a time in my life when that dawned on me. Uh, I was walking down the sidewalk, 
at my college. And I thought to myself, I'm talking to God. <laughs> and it was a new thing for me mm. that God was my constant dialogue partner. And it was a wonderful feeling. I knew that from then on, I would never, ever be alone. Mm. This is a simple question, but it might have a complex answer. Um, what makes you come alive? I love teaching. <laughs> Give me an audience. And I, if I, even if I felt bad before I walked in the room, if I had a headache, if I, whatever was wrong, I come alive when I'm teaching. And I, come, I love to teach because I love people and I love what I'm thinking and what I'm teaching. And I know that it's going to change their lives and make them better, happier people, because I get to teach that kind of thing. I don't have to teach something that's boring and just descriptive of something or other. I get to teach uh, what I think is the most important thing that a human being could ever think about. Mm. And I, I believe that just even just having an inkling of God's presence can change your whole life. Yeah. Because you can believe that your life has meaning and that you're here for a reason and that there's something you individually are assigned to do and that you're going to get it done. Mm. That's good. Do you have any advice for people that are aspiring to do what you do? I would have a warning and then some advice. Most people go into a helping profession or a teaching profession out of noble motives. They want to help people. They love their subject. They want to share it, and they want others to be excited about it. And that's really good. Um, it also involves um, making the grade, uh, getting a job, um, impressing people, uh, getting tenure, you know, a lot of stuff that could sidetrack you. I love teaching. I want to be careful with my words, but I don't love everything about academia mm -hmm. um, because um, it's like a monopoly game, if you remember what a monopoly is. <laughs> but it has money that's not legal ten tender anywhere else except within the game. Mm -hmm. And sometimes academia is that way. The whole reward and uh, evaluation and punishment system doesn't really have a lot of relevance outside. So I would say hold on to those ideals and never forget that an education is where one person shares something with another person that can benefit their life or give them a skill. It's really a, a personal relationship. Mm. And I think that's the most important thing. That's really good. Would you like to talk about your writing? You mentioned last week that you're currently working on a book right now. Well, let me give you a little background. Okay. After my, uh, I would say, religious awakening, when God became real to me and important, I realized I had things I wanted to say. I think all good writing comes from, like all good poetry, it comes from 
a burning desire to say something. And, and after I realized I had something to say and wanted to say it, I learned how to write. Um, and so I have written eight books and I'm working on the ninth one. And um, my, they're all in theology. Um, I've written, a, I'm a systematic theologian. That's what they call people like me. And that means we write a, about the, the big issues in, in Christian faith, like who is God? Uh, uh, so I wrote a book about God and I wrote a book about creation and providence. And then I wrote a book about uh, human God and human freedom, because I think a lot of people think that God is somehow or another a competitor of our humanity and our dignity. Mm -hmm. And I made the argument in this book that, no, it's quite the opposite. God is not a competitor. God is the very ground of our hope mm -hmm. for having the kind of dignity that we want. And uh, um, I've written books of essays, um, and I um, um, wrote a book uh, about whether or not Christianity is true. It's, it's basically just takes you from, is there, a, is there anything spiritual in the world? Right on up to, is Jesus Christ the Savior? Mm. So I, I, I lead the, the reader logically right through all the uh, steps that we, one would need to take. And in that book, I say that all I'm asking for is a reasonable uh, faith and a responsible decision. Because I don't think you can ask people today or try to prove something beyond a shadow of a doubt. I think you can only ask for a reasonable faith and a responsible decision. The book I'm working on now, and I'm basically finished with it, is um, it's about Jesus the Savior. Mm. What does that mean? Because I, I think a lot of people both who are inside and outside of Christian faith and churches are not very clear about that. And I've thought about it many years of my life, and I've taken five years to write this book. And I wouldn't say I have the definitive answer that no one else <laughs> has ever thought of. But for me, things are much clearer um, than they uh, were in the past. I've been teaching theology for 32 years, and I think my first 10 years, I didn't, I would talk about it, but I don't think I knew what I was talking about. I would just quote things and say words, um, but I realized I didn't know, and so I decided I wanted to write this book because I wanted to find out, uh, go deeper into it and clarify it, and I... I think I have. Yeah. I don't want to spoil the book or anything, but how would you explain, maybe in a soundbite, um, how or why Jesus is the Savior? Okay. Human beings are, and Lindsay, you'll recognize this phrase, human beings are the most amazing creatures. And we have such great potential mm. it's amazing we can we can contain this universe and other universes and other universes in our minds 
We can't think of any finite thing that we couldn't get around it and understand it eventually. So we have this amazing potential. But also, we are finite and mortal and time-bound and space-bound, and we, there's so much we don't know. Um, and so what is it? I mean, what's going to happen to us? Are we just mm. going to live a while and have some fun and have some kids and get old and die? I mean, is that it? So I, I think there's a real issue here. It's not, it's not like, oh, um, when you're talking religiously about being saved, we're talking about something that's irrelevant to people. No, it's not. Yeah. It depends on what you're, how you understand human existence. Uh, can we actually be all that we could be? Is this, is this potential we have, is it just going to die with us? Why? Why are human beings so gifted and yet so incapable of realizing all that potential? I think that anybody ought to at least perk up when someone says, you know, there is a solution, there is an answer to this uh, problem of being finite and mortal and messing things up. And there is an answer to the greatness. Now, my, the title of my book, the, the, the main title, is The Second Adam. That is, in, in the writings of Paul, Adam stands for humanity. Mm -hmm. as it is really messed up yeah but adam has a lot of potential because adam was made in the image of god mm. so we're really messed up but we have this possibility of being images of god jesus in the new testament is the new start for humanity all of us wouldn't you all of us would like a new start mm. we'd like to erase a few things we've done, and then get a new start with a new slate, a clean slate. But not just a clean slate, not just, you know, your past forgiven, but your past corrected and your future opened up. So that's why I titled the book The, the New Adam. So for, uh, you know, Christianity's understanding of, you know, Jesus' death, and um, uh, we often say in churches, Jesus died for our sins. Um, let's, and, but I think sometimes that doesn't mean very much to people. They don't know in what sense. Um, if you think of Jesus as the new Adam, he went through death and then received a new life, a new kind of life. Mm. And so one of us, human beings, has God has brought through death and into new life. And so he's a new start. And so Christianity basically says, by, by looking to him, by being um, his disciple, by being uh, joining with him, we can get the benefit of what he has done. And I know I'm oversimplifying it, but um, but a new start. Yeah. Uh, so uh, 
he goes through all the stages of human life, including death. And then um, we get to have a new start with him. Mm. The book is 88,000 words, which is about 250 pages. I look forward to reading it. <laughs> I think that raises an important question because I've encountered people, and myself included, um, before coming to the faith. I think some people think themselves away <laughs> from belief because they almost rationalize people who believe in God as kind of a coping mechanism because like life is so hard and we don't really know what we're doing. Mm -hmm. So how would you explain that? I've heard that uh, and I, I understand that. Okay. Well, I would want to have a long conversation with that person. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> a soundbite probably won't do it justice, but okay. First of all, um, yes. If, if one were perfectly happy, like a cow out in the field and had no thought of any problem you had, no thought of what's going to happen to me in the future, then, of course, thinking about God would be uh, irrelevant because it, 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 uh, it doesn't solve any problems. Mm -hmm. But we really, really do have problems. Yeah. We really, really do need to cope. Now, so just because faith in God as our Father just because it helps us doesn't mean it's false. Mm -hmm. Just doesn't mean it's like invented in order to help us. I think it's, that sort of presupposes that, well, the worst case scenario is probably true. <laughs> that is, you're born, um, you live a while, and then you die and just suck it up and, and face it, you know, mm -hmm. and sort of like believe that, you're one of the few people who have the courage to face this hard reality of life. Well, that, that doesn't sound any more plausible than the coping strategy right. to me. What, what matters is, is there any basis for belief? Any rational basis? Any factual basis? Um, so, I mean, I think it's a kind of an irrelevant objection. It's, it's sort of like, uh, you think that because of... <laughs> Some irrational reason. Yeah. Well, maybe I do, maybe I don't. But what is the rational basis of what I'm uh, arguing here? Mm. I think there's plenty of rational basis to believe in God. And plenty of rational basis to believe uh, that Jesus is who uh, Christianity says he is. If I didn't believe it was true, I wouldn't believe it at all. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I want to go back really quick to something that you mentioned earlier. Um, you talked about your kind of religious awakening. Mm -hmm. Was that separate from kind of your experience in the church and the way you were raised? It wasn't separate. Okay. But I can only speak about my development, but I, but I believe it applies to uh, others. When you're a child... Um, you believe what you're told and you're not really exposed to alternatives and challenges so much. Um, well, I mean, a real small child. You may, by the time you get to middle school, I don't know. But, and, and you sort of believe it, but it hasn't been tested yet. Yeah. Um, 
And one of the thoughts I had there on that sidewalk was when I thought I'm, I'm, I'm talking to God. My second thought was, and I'm not in church <laughs> and nobody's watching me. Nobody knows this. So it was one of the first times I realized this is coming from within me. This is me. This mm-hmm. is my choice. This is my faith. So I think there's a transition. And it's one reason I love teaching college age students is because they're, you know, about in that transition where either they're going to make uh, their childhood faith their own or they're going to not, they're just going to see it's not relevant to them. They get involved in other things. So I would like to help people make that transition. And that's why I'm, I'm very careful not to continue the, the child approach. Mm. Here's what's true. Here's what we say. Here's what you do, you know, and so just believe it. Because it, it doesn't work after you get to be of a mature age. You've got to see things for yourself. And I, I believe I'm a patient person when it comes to that. Uh, I think I want to, ev- as I said earlier, I want to evoke in people and I want to give them the opportunity to think it, uh, to ask the questions themselves, to feel the, the uh, power of those questions. Um, but they have to, it has to arise from within them. Mm. What would you say to someone who those questions kind of have come up, they've surfaced and they've decided, okay, I want to go after this God thing, but maybe they have no they have no one to look to. They don't know what that looks like. What, what would you tell them? What does the pursuit of God look like? You first pray. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a student a long time ago uh, who asked me a similar question. What should I do uh, now that I believe there's a God? Mm-hmm. And I said, pray. And he said, I don't know how to pray. And I said, you're talking to me, aren't you? <laughs> Just talk mm. to God. And ask God to show you the way. Mm. Talk to others that you believe are deeper into this and have something real. And uh, share with them and learn from them. Uh, worship with them. Pray with them. Um, the Bible is a complicated book, but, but start learning how to read it. Mm. Um, Jesus for Christians is the face of God. If you want to know God, you look at the face of Jesus. And of course his face doesn't mean a physical thing. It means his character, right. what he has done, how he has treated people, uh, how he thinks about things. There are some things you can only know by feeling them and by doing them. Mm-hmm. Um, when you, in, in our class, I quoted um, the Brothers Karamazov, one of the characters in that book, uh, said that if you will see God in all things and if you will love every leaf love every sunset, love every person, that you will eventually feel 
an all-embracing love mm. that will be your affect, your feeling toward the whole world of nature and people. That, to me, is about as close as we can get to experiencing God. Because for, for my faith, that is who God is. God is the all-embracing love that affirms the goodness in the world. And if we learn to embrace the goodness and see every person not as a competitor, not as someone who is, has a certain label on them, but someone to do for them what you can, to love them, then you will know what God feels. We'd like to thank Sydney Griffith for designing and creating our cover art, Kaylin Mendez for producing this episode, and PGM for supporting this platform. I'm Lindsay Sullivan. And I'm Ivy Moore. Thank you for listening. Join us next time for another episode of the Face to Face podcast.